Good morning. My name is Jerry Schoberg. The scripture reading this morning is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up towards the heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our Redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. See if it works. Laura, could you just go to the next slide? <laughs> if there is one, is there a next slide? There you go. There you go. So today's scripture is the story of the ascension. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He spent a whole 40 days hanging around with his followers, his disciples, presenting himself as alive by many proofs and teaching them all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God being the world set right, the world as it is when God gets God's way. This is like a 40-day intensive 
seminar, getting them ready for the mission ahead of them, kind of a 40-day boot camp for Jesus. Now, at this point, we might expect something like the movie Rocky or The Karate Kid or, you know, if you want to be more contemporary, Cobra Kai. Uh, rigorous training and exercise leads up to the big event. You know, the disciples are unleashed on the world to cast out demons left and right, to give the devil a holy roundhouse kick and reclaim the world for God and God's good purposes. You know, this is, you know, this is where Rocky's in the ring with Apollo Creed, right? But it doesn't quite happen that way. At the end of the 40 days when he's ready to leave, Jesus orders his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. John baptized you all with water, Jesus says, and you all be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, before I go, are there any questions, he says, and every arm in the room shoots up, right? Is it time? The disciples all ask in unison. Is this the time, Jesus, where you will restore the kingdom to Israel? That is to say, is this the time where God's going to make good on God's promises to save God's, to God's people, to save them from their enemies, to set the world right for good? Is today the day, Jesus? It is not the time for you to know, Jesus says in response. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. He's like, fellas, Jesus says, fellas, I love your enthusiasm, but it's for me to know and for you to find out. Not even going to give a general timeline for project completion here. He promises them the Holy Spirit will come upon them with power that they will be as witnesses to the ends of the earth also, but he doesn't say when the kingdom will come in its fullness. And then just like that, he sort of takes off, taken up by a cloud into heaven. He's lifted in the air. He ascends, taken up into the very being of God. Ciao. Now, after the excitement of being raised from the dead, all, after all this intense training, you sort of expect Jesus to toss a diploma at each of them, to give it to each of them their marching orders, and to send them on their merry way to change the world, to give them heaven. But no, the first thing Jesus does is have them wait. The first thing Jesus does is have them wait on the Holy Spirit. The first thing Jesus does is have them wait. Now, waiting, as we know, it ain't easy. A few weeks ago, I was thinking back to 2020, to the first few months of COVID, to lockdowns, online-only worship. We all thought it would be a few weeks, and those were some heady, optimistic days now, weren't they? But I was thinking about how hard it was not knowing what was next, how hard it was to wait. Whether it was weeks or months, it was always just a little bit longer. Imagine if I knew how long it was going to be at the beginning, and I realized that I'm not sure that I could have entirely done it had I known how long. For some of us, that period was fine, but for others, it was a time of great anxiety as to what's going to happen next. When can we get back to real 
regular life again. I'm certainly glad we made it through, but this whole time just underscored the fact that waiting can be very, very hard. You could say that the waiting is the hardest part, as St. Tom Petty of Florida used to sing, the late Tom Petty. Even so, I think waiting is particularly hard for us in 2023. I you know, can't remember what time the meeting was, send an email or a text. Need to know how the, the, what the internal temperature for a, uh, a roast is, Google it. Who won the War of 1812? Wiki it, and you'll find competing, uh, competing uh, different uh, versions of, of who won it, but that's where you find your answer, Wikipedia. Light bulb burnt out, go down to the store and it's there. Better yet, send for it on Amazon Prime and it'll be there tomorrow, overnight. Don't have the money? Well, just put it on the line of credits or the credit card, and it'll be there. You can have it. Why wait when we can have it now? Convenience can be wonderful, it's true, but it's also got a major side effect, and that is impatience. It's impatience. It's meant an eroding of the internal tools to be able to deal with times of prolonged uncertainty, whether it's waiting for an end to lockdowns, waiting for a diagnosis or waiting for a season of depression to end. Waiting is hard in the best of times, and I think it is especially hard for us now. So, it's hard. So how can we deal in times of difficult waiting? Well, today's scripture offers us some answers. It's something of a parable of patience. It gives us two kind of broad answers to this question of difficult waiting. The first answer to the question of difficult waiting is that we can wait because we can trust, we trust that God holds the future, okay? We can wait because we trust that God holds the future. You know, Jesus ascends to heaven. The next scene in my estimation is one of the great comedy episodes of the New Testament. I sort of think of it in the key of Monty Python, maybe. Jesus is taken up out of sight and, you know, the disciples are just staring up in the clouds like they came all this way and Jesus is just taking, them, taking off. He told them to wait, but they're on the clock. He must be on his way back. You know, I'll be back, he says. But he doesn't seem to come back. I mean, you picture them shielding their eyes from the sun and staring off into the blue. And then these two men in white robes, it says, they kind of sidle up to them. Now, these figures are very clearly angels, heavenly messengers, and what are you looking at? They ask the disciples. You know, sort of imagine you know, the disciples being, oh, Jesus just went up that way, so he told us to wait for the instructions, so that's what we're doing. Look, say the two figures. Why are you looking up there? Jesus, who's been taken up to heaven, he'll be back the same way you saw him go up. Basically saying that he'd be back, he'll return to complete the mission he came for in the first place. You can bank on that. This is a promise that you can trust. Jesus doesn't simply disappear on some kind of divine vacation. In the words of the Apostles' Creed, 
he is seated at the right hand of the Father, or in the words of the United Church's new creed, he is our judge and our hope. You can stop worrying about the future, the angels say, because the future belongs to God. So much of our waiting is so wearisome because we don't know how things are going to turn out. Jesus is, but if Jesus is who we believe he is, if he is not only our teacher and our friend, but our king, our savior, and the Lord of all creation, it means that God's going to get the future God wants. The future is assured. It's not only out of our hands, it's in God's hands. And these are the hands that won't let go. In the words of that medieval English mystic, Julian of Norwich, in the end, all things will be well, and all manner of things will be well. That's ascension language. Jesus is seated at the right hand. We can wait our way through anything because God holds the future. The Lamb is on the throne, and the future belongs to our God and King. That's the promise. Waiting of any kind is far easier when you know what you're waiting for. And when you know it's out of your hands. Waiting is easier. We can wait because God holds the future. That was the first thing. The second is this. Prayer. Prayer is one of the ways. Prayer is how we can trust God when we wait. Prayer is how we can trust God when we wait. After this little episode with the robe-clad messengers, the disciples returned to Jerusalem, it says. They returned to the upper room, the place where they were before Jesus was arrested, the same place they held the Last Supper. All of Jesus' disciples are there, it says, minus Judas, of course, as well as women, several women, like Jesus' mother, Mary. All together, and it says, when they were there, they were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. They got together, and they prayed. It's such a, like, modernity. It's such a hard thing to think of. Well, what do you do when somebody was raised into heaven and told you that the Holy Spirit would come? Well, you go and you pray because that's what you do. I mean, it's not something that we reach to in normal situations, let alone on the promise of Jesus. But this says that they had to wait, so they prayed. It might seem strange to us because we tend to think of prayer as just asking God for stuff, and then God either says yes or God either says no. But here the prayer is more than that. Prayer is a sign of patience. Prayer is a sign of patience. The great reformer John Calvin said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. That word exercise, it's like discipline. It's like, it's like the push-ups I hate doing. <laughs> you know, but it's the, an exercise of faith. Prayer is an act of trust in God. The great pastor and writer Eugene Peterson put it like this. Another will, God's will, is greater, wiser, and more intelligent than my own. So I wait. 
Waiting means that there is another whom I can trust and from whom I receive. My will, important and essential as it is, finds a will that is more important and more essential. In prayer, we are aware that God is in action. And when the circumstances are ready, when others are in the right place, and when my heart is prepared, I will be called into action. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. I love that. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. Prayer is a sort of active passivity. In prayer, we reach out beyond ourselves, believing that there is a reality beyond the difficulty of the present moment. In prayer, we acknowledge that we simply don't have the resor- all the resources within ourselves to deal with life's struggles or life's challenges, and we don't have the wisdom to know what to do all the time. In prayer, we call upon a strength that comes from outside of us, a power that comes only from God. When Jesus ascended, he was no longer physically present to the disciples. They couldn't see, they couldn't touch him, but they were able to trust that he was seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, that his victory over death in the resurrection was a victory over all powers of death, evil, and injustice. In praying, they were able to wait and be patient because they knew how the story ends. Because they trusted that he would be present, he would be sovereign, he would be at work, even in times when he seemed absent and the world seemed overrun with fear and destruction. They were able to wait without anxiety or fear, even in times where they themselves felt completely powerless, they were able to wait by calling on God in prayer. Now, heaven forbid that we ever have to experience anything like the waiting we did in 2020 ever again. You know, that's in my prayers, regular prayers, always But waiting is something we're going to have to do sooner or later, no matter what. Waiting is not something we've been socialized to do. We've all been socialized into believing that there isn't enough time in the day, that we need to mold or fashion our lives at every turn, and every opportunity needs to be grasped with gusto. But the ascension tells us that God is the ultimate architect of our destiny. You know the old song, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's ascension language. Jesus is coming back the same way he came in the fullness of time, the mystery of God's choosing. If we're on God's clock, it means God sets the pace, not the market economy or the infinite algorithm of Silicon Valley or even the impatience of our day-to-day lives. We can wait through anything because we know how the story ends. We can shift our eyes from the sky to the world right in front of us. We don't have to get anxious about how it's going to play out. We don't need to ensure that our lives or the world come out right because that is God's job, not ours. 
and our way to put our trust in God's power and presence when we feel powerless is to pray. You know, Anne Lamott, she's a famous, um, she's a famous writer on Christian spirituality. She says the three essential prayers are help, thanks, and wow. If that's all you can do in your time of trouble, it will be enough. It's our way of being grounded when all the other ground shifts around us. So, friends, my prayer for you today is that you may wait. Don't do something. Just sit there. In this word, may you hope. May you wait prayfully, prayerfully for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the dawn. Amen.
Such a lovely medieval chant. I don't know who chose it, but they chose it well. They chose well. Um, let's say together the United Church of Canada's new creed, putting our hearts in trust.